Hello, this is Scott Jens. Welcome to Sandbox Stories. Hello, welcome to the Sandbox Story, in which I'm joined by Dr. Richard Mangan. Dr. Mangan's role is, is medical science liaison for Sun Pharma, following four years of service as medical optometrist and assistant professor at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. An old classmate of mine, I'm thrilled to welcome you to Sandbox Stories, Dr. Rick Mangan. Oh, thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. I almost called you Glad Rich. That's okay. <laughs> hey, uh, it's it's thrilling. I've been called worse. <laughs> it's a thrill to get reconnected with you after all these years. Um, we spent a yeah. lot of time on the basketball court back in the day, and uh, I know you've had an incredible um, uh, clinical career. And uh, before we get started, we're not going to talk deep business here, but just tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Sun Pharma. Yeah, so um, keep in mind, this is kind of a new role for me. I, I've been in clinical practice for a little over 30 years, mostly in, in an ophthalmology setting. Um, but but I've had friends uh, in the past that have made a transition from being a clinician to uh, this role of a medical science liaison, and, and the transition for them has been a really positive one, so that's what got me interested in it. The cool thing about this position is it allows me to still stay connected with a lot of the friends and colleagues that you and I both have in in uh, our profession. And so I'll get to, uh, you know, meet and greet and say hello to a lot of friends that I've, I've developed over the last 30 years. My role is different now in that now I'm more of, hence the term, liaison to our company so that if doctors have questions about the pharmacology, or the biophysiology related to the medicines that our company happens to produce, I can help uh, them and answer questions on how those drug interactions can be expected, both positive and also if there's any adverse reactions, we like to know about that too. And then, so yeah, mostly uh, help, help practices who have any interest in clinical trials, whether they be phase three or uh, post-market studies. I helped them with that too, getting that get set up. That's fantastic. Well, what, quite a transition and I wish you well. And here we are, we're closing the month of October, Mental Health Awareness Month. And you just authored a piece at the end of the summer in Modern OD about physician burnout and you applied it to optometry. And I'm really grateful you've taken an interest in this topic, but I guess I want to start with asking, why have you taken an interest? Well, yeah, so uh, being part of the uh, advisory board for the journal, certainly this came up as, as an important topic for the month of October. But I think I jumped on it because I personally have dealt with burnout. And it's something that uh, I think I can talk from not just the research that I've done, but from personal experience. And I think it's a very important topic, one that's kind of been under under discussed or not discussed enough over recent years. Although I think we're starting to see more and more come out and more trends to um, helping with resources and things of that nature for this problem. I just saw a former pro football playing, a, play, a current pro football player talk about how he's coming back to the Philadelphia Eagles after taking a couple of weeks. Um, and we saw this summer Simone Biles do some things around her mental wellness. And I think there's 
you know, societal adage of, you know, strap on your boots and pick yourself up <clears> off the ground. But it is changing, isn't it? It is changing. And um, and I'm, I'm very happy to see that there's more resources being put behind it. I know when I was at the university, they were really, really good about letting letting physicians know about the resources available if there's any concern about depression, anxiety, or burnout. And I think uh, we're going to continue to see more of that as the years years come about. Go ahead and define burnout. What what does that practically look like in a practicing OD? In a general term or general sense, it's basically emotional exhaustion combined with depersonalization and a diminished sense of personal accomplishment. And it's usually tied into, uh, you know, long hours and, and, and many years of, of work and stress in, in this field. Well, some professions have a lot of burnout. Does optometry compare? Well, you can, you know, most of the data that's out there right now has really focused on MDs uh, and all the subspecialties. So they really haven't thrown optometry into the mix. What I can tell you, though, from a personal standpoint, as someone who's worked in an ophthalmology practice, and at times have seen volumes of patients up to 60 patients a day, I mean, some of those same stressors and and um, things that can lead to burnout do can exist for optometrists too. The setting is very important. We know that the larger the setting and the more bureaucracy, then there's a little bit more risk of feeling uh, like you're not contributing or it's more depersonalized. And so there's a little higher risk for burnout than if you were in a smaller practice setting. Um, but, uh, you know, again, depending on how much volume of patients you see today or what how many hats you wear within the practice, all of these things can kind of contribute. I was talking to a physician this summer um, who said that in the pandemic, the increased use of the patient portals and questions being asked through that mechanism, in addition to inbound phone calls and everything else, really layered it on. So I, I, what I take from what you're saying is, you know, the, the size of the practice, the type of institution does contribute. And, and so does the infrastructure that 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 institution uses. Exactly. And and even when, and, and I, I think a lot of these um, institutions are really trying to make things better. I know I've been in classes to help us be more efficient with EHR and things of that nature, but I've also seen doctors where their volume is so high that not only do they end their clinics late every day, but it takes about two to three hours to get caught up on the charting that's involved. And then that's cutting into family time and the stress involved with that. We also know that female physicians are at higher risk for burnout, especially during their mid-career years, because they're not only juggling their own career and their own goals and, and financial goals, but they've got children at home. And, and we know women, right, are often the primary caregiver of the household. And then they're also stuck because they may have some parents that are elderly that need support, too. So it's a very tough time for both both men and women, but especially women uh, in that. And, and when, when COVID hit, we saw spikes in that as well. And because, right, because of the lockdowns, kids are at home and parents were having to figure out how to deal with that, especially when, when mom's got a career. You know, when you use the word burnout, I think that we all sort of look at it in a general sense. But can you give me any specifics as to what kind of life changes indicate that 
even if you aren't aware of burnout, it may be affecting you? Yeah, I can try. I mean, some of the, it's certainly easier to kind of detect burnout when someone, you're already very familiar with their personality. So if you notice someone who's starting to be either more withdrawn or maybe they've started to develop a little bit more of a risky risky lifestyle, one that they just feel like, you know, they have a sense of hopelessness and, and, and their coping, their method of coping just isn't as good as it could be. So, um, you know, signs would be um, more sleepless nights or, or uh, restless sleep, uh, more fatigue. Um, so irritability, things of those natures could, could certainly raise a red flag. Certainly if they start talking about things like, have you ever considered suicide and, and how, would, how would you do it? Those are kind of questions that should be concerning too. I think that for a lot of us working long hours and working hard, um, it equates to all kinds of disruptions in life, but you make some good points on things that if anybody in the audience is listening, um, you know, do yourself a favor and pay attention. And I guess if you feel that way, what are, what are the ideal modifications that an OD can make? Because a lot of what you say is about driving the practice bigger and better. Um, but to reduce burnout or clinical depression, what would you recommend an OD think about doing? Well, obviously, the first step is recognizing that that you're fe having these feelings, that you're fe feeling burned out and overwhelmed. And probably the best thing is to seek some professional counseling first off. Um, if you're not sure if you're experiencing symptoms of burnout, you're just fatigued, you can go online, um, Medscape, along with their really good article on burnout, the, the survey that came out in 2020, offers a questionnaire which gives you a score and kind of gives you an idea of where you're at. And certainly if you meet a certain level, then maybe counseling or therapy would be, be recommended. If you are someone who has a loved one and you're concerned about your, your spouse, maybe they're a physician, you can certainly take that quiz just based on your observations of your, of your spouse. And, and then, you know, those conversations are always tough. Uh, but I have been in a situation where I've been concerned about a friend or colleague. And, you know, it's sometimes hard to ask the tough questions, but I, I, I try to at least ask one question. Certainly if they've expressed that they're depressed is, have you, have you ever considered harming yourself? And if that answer is yes, then that's when I really encourage them to, to get some, some counseling. I can't emphasize enough the importance of having somebody that's feeling this way and unsure uh, understanding and admitting that it's not a weakness to think yeah. about confronting it. And you bring up, you know, the ultimate risk, self-harm and worse, you know, suicide, taking one's own life. What should we know? What, what should we do to try to help each other to avoid it? It's one thing to ask the question, um, but in many cases, particularly with partners and spouses, it can get very difficult to bring those tough questions forward. It can result in all kinds of potential conflict how how do we navigate that? Yeah. Well, certainly there has to be a cultural change to where it's not as much of a stigma to to seek help. And I will tell you, during during the time when I was really down and, and dealing with burnout, I felt the same way. I felt like I had to be invincible. I wasn't allowed to to be vulnerable in any way. And so it was very difficult to to uh, seek help and reach out. But in the end, that's ultimately what has to happen. 
Um, and, you know, I, uh, I mean, I'm blessed. I had, I had a great support system and I felt like, you know, once I, I recognized that, you know, my coping strategies weren't the best at first, I realized that I needed to be better as far as my diet, uh, getting exercise, getting the right amount of sleep. And then when you can start to address some of the issues that you're dealing with with burnout, I think they'll be surprised that usually most practices and their colleagues can be very supportive in helping you kind of get through that difficult phase. And then next thing you know, you're, you're cruising again. It almost feels like just break through and let one person know, uh, be vulnerable to one person. Uh, because we live in this world of speedy information feeds and social networks, and right. we have these intense expectations on ourselves professionally. But as you pointed out, we have home matters, sometimes aging parents, um, challenges with health and wellness. Now we have politics, we have a pandemic. And so you talked about exercise and sleep. Um, any tips that that you know work for you that you can give to the audience about making those positive adjustments to life? Well, I don't know if I have any miraculous tips in that area. I can just say in my own area, um, I realized that, you know, it's funny, right? You become a physician, and I've heard this from, from so many other doctors, that you're so overwhelmed with patient load, you're so overwhelmed with charting. What do most physicians do? They neglect their own health. They're so worried about their patients, and they care about their patients. They care about their own family and yet they don't take the time to bring back that balance. And so I think that was the thing for me I had to really work on was realizing that, you know what, this can wait till tomorrow. Uh, you're, you don't have to be Superman here, do the best you can, but you've got to start taking care of yourself or you're not going to be able to take care of your family or you're not going to be able to take care of your patients nearly as good as, you, as you, you're capable of. That's really. So I don't know if that answered your question. But. No, it's really well said. I, I think like talking to one person, I think what you're saying is you also have to have this conversation with yourself that taking one step's all that's needed. Uh, the old adage of, you know, walk around the block before you walk a mile. Just take a step. Um, that's right. That's really well said. Of course, I want to make sure the audience knows that the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available. We see it from time to time on news shows, and we often find it after some sort of a celebrity or somebody that's well-known has um, reached that endpoint and has done the unthinkable. And I want to make sure to put it in this episode that the Lifeline is 800-273-8255. But they also pro provide support through live chat. Right. So if you want to break that bond and, and say, well, I don't know who to talk to, um, you can just go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org and you can actually implement a live chat. It's about talking to somebody. Rich, tell us a little bit about what your life is like today, you know, this new job. Um, tell me what a day looks like. How do you how do you take care of yourself? Well, um, you know, I've realized that, that exercise is an important part, and so I try to try to either, you know, out here in Colorado, one of the things we're blessed with is a lot of beautiful nature and scenery, but really good bike trails. So I spend most of my summers out on my bike, and then uh, we'll spin, spin indoors over the wintertime. So that's my main source of exercise. But, you know, I just I feel like I have more energy. I feel better when I try to do that on a regular basis. 
Um, sleep has, has improved too. And that's another goal of just trying to maintain some regular sleep habits that doesn't always happen, but, uh, but that's it. And, um, you know, I'm also grounded in my faith. And so that's been uh, a blessing for me and it helps me, uh, kind of deal with some of the life stressors as well. So, um, but, and you have, yeah, you have a wonderful the, family the main thing too. is try to focus on positive coping ways of coping, you know, meditation, yoga, exercise, whatever that is. And, um, you know, just try to watch for warning signs of the, the negative ways. So, and I, and you have a wonderful family too. I mean, you, you, you spend the time in productive ways, I'm sure with them, that that's a great summary and great way to, to say it. Yeah, yeah. The the reality to my friends in optometry, optometric technicianry, physicians, ophthalmologists, is is that we have this blessed opportunity here with Dr. Mangan to know that there's this article about physician burnouts, references he made in Modern OD in the September. That was the August September edition. I'd like you to go take a look at it. I'll put a link uh, out on the screen and, and in the comments. And I want everyone to understand that uh, sometimes you just feel like this is life. And when we listen to this great story, what we hear is that sometimes life happens at you as opposed to you living it. And it's okay to admit that vulnerability and do well. Dr. Mangan, I can't thank you enough for bringing awareness to this topic. Thanks for being a guest and for expressing yourself both in the written article and here today. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Yep. And to the audience, take care of yourselves and thanks for attending. And until my next Sandbox story, be great at all you do.